there was some point where I must have gotten a little out of line. Um, maybe they hadn't given me enough meds. They, they put me in, in, you know, like a confinement room. And I got all upset and I demanded to see the art therapist <laughs> because I knew that she would be able, she would be able to speak for me and on my behalf. Early in this pandemic, someone sent us, an, a friend sent an email, and I can't remember who wrote this piece, but the piece was about artists being first responders in this time. That we, musicians, artists of every sort, poets, are first responders in this time, not only of the p pandemic, but even the um, social crises that are happening in this in this day and time that we are first responders because what people need is beyond words and music and art is beyond words it skips right past the head and goes to the heart and it really the crisis in our country is a crisis of soul and spirit and so i think artists are really called upon during this time. You're listening to Sound Mind, where queer voices across Minnesota explore mental health through art. I'm Jane Ramsire-Miller, Artistic Director of One Voice Mixed Chorus, Minnesota's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and straight allies chorus. We acknowledge that Sound Mind is produced and our singers reside on the sacred traditional lands of the Dakota and Anishinaabe people. In this episode, I talk with Sarah Thompson and Paula Peterson. Sarah is a singer-songwriter who performs across the Midwest and beyond. She founded and serves as the artistic director of Duluth's Echoes of Peace Choir, dubbed one of northern Minnesota's best-kept secrets. Sarah lives on a small farm with gardens and chickens and her wife, Paula Peterson. Paula says she serves as Sarah's backup singer, and she's trying to figure out retirement life during a pandemic. This episode was recorded in fall 2021 in the middle of the COVID pandemic. So Sarah, Paula, and their dog Hannah and I are outside, including all the noises of my urban neighborhood. I am Sarah Thompson, and very happy to be here. I'm a a musician from northern Minnesota, um, Twin Ports area, and here with my beloved spouse that I'll let you introduce yourself. My name is Paula Peterson, and I'm Sarah's backup singer. <laughs> yeah, and spouse. <laughs> we live on a little farm, farmy. Kind of a farmish. A farmish, homesteadish. Big garden. Um, big garden in the, the Lake Superior watershed. So outside of the Twin Ports, Duluth Superior. What's growing right now is um, still things in our garden, even though it's late fall. Um, some of the greens, and since we have a greenhouse this year, a lot of tomatoes and peppers still going in the greenhouse, which is very exciting because we're very far north, so to have stuff still growing. Um, and we also have this native plant field that we put in about three years ago. Um, that is was just gorgeous this year. So for me, just sitting on a bench near that um, wildflower field has is one of my favorite places to be under a big maple that has her branches cover me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's one of my favorite places. Yeah. And I I grew up on a farm in Iowa and and have learned to appreciate flowers, but. Growing up, it was about what was you could eat or sell or, um, yeah. So it's been, so I think more about the, the produce and I can it. And so every every day is what's, what do I have enough of to, to do some small batch canning? And we try to eat um, from our pantry before we go anywhere else. It's just in me. I grew up with my my grandparents and extended family doing that um, at the farm, and I hated it as a child. I'll never do this. This is stupid. Here I am. 
I mean, Paula was a squirrel in a former life, we think. Was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and she's the person to be with during a pandemic. I mean, yeah. we um, we really have been grateful for mm-hmm. for the garden and just your know how of yeah. putting up food. So yeah. yeah. And and all of a sudden it's valued in a way that is is kind of fun to see. Although I couldn't get canning lids. All of a sudden it's popular and I'm like, what the heck? Some of us have been doing this for a while. What are you doing with all the canning lids? We have um, a small flock of chickens for um, like laying like laying hens, um, Icelandic heritage hens. And um, as well as Hannah, who's here with us today, our four-legged uh, dog. And we have a cat. And do we have any other animals? Oh. Bees. Paula oh, is yeah. a beekeeper. I'm a hobby beekeeper. So right now we have two hives that are alive. That varies from zero to four, depending on this. What's happening? Zero to four hives. Correct. Yeah. Not bees. Not bees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not right. That'd be tragic. Not generate much honey. Right. 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 <laughs> I grew up in the city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So um, my parents, my mother was an avid flower gardener. And, um, and, and both my mom and dad also did a little bit of vegetables, um, as well. So I did grow up with, with growing things. And then we had a, I had a great aunt who had a farm out in the country that we would spend a week maybe in the summer and on the, on the farm. So Paula claims to have more farming experience than me because I only had a week at a time, (laughs) a week every summer, but we both grew up with a love of of growing uh, mm-hmm. food and for me also growing flowers. So my mother would, flowers and eating went together. We would always have a big bouquet of flowers at the table, um, whether it's special events or just, you know, every day it's dinner. Mm-hmm. So it was part of eating, was having mm-hmm. flowers. Music was a part of growing up early on like my earliest memories i often share are of my dad singing lullabies to me um in fact i wrote i would remember sort of whimpering in bed so that my dad would pick scoop me up and take me into the rocking chair and sing me to sleep so um he was he loved to sing and um and in fact my dad, who died this past spring, um, one of the things I, rem- I remember him always asking uh, in the morning was, what song did you wake up with today? What song did you wake up with today? So I, um, I think about, like, song was present for him throughout his life as just something that's always with you. And I think he brought that to all of us. I have three... Um, three sisters, one younger and two older, and we would sing together around the piano. We all had piano lessons. We all sang in choir, uh, even played in bell choir at my church growing up and sang in the, you know, the choruses at school. Took a, a guitar elective one year in junior high. And um, so music, music was always a part, but actually when I was young, younger, I, my dad not only was musical, but also like a, a, you know, he could draw and the whole visual art piece was there. He was more like, a, he was a structural engineer, so it was more that kind of technical drawing, but he could do um, sketching as well. And I think that also got nurtured in me, or it did, growing up. And I, I always thought I would become a visual artist. Um, and that's even even into college. I was I was minoring in art, and um, and music was just a side, you know, something we did. But yeah. So and then it became more of my work, kind of post college. And now I have been thinking about the visual art piece, moving back toward doing some of that, especially now that all of this all my music gigs are a little different now with the pandemic so um, in a non-pandemic year you're pretty much working almost full-time as singer songwriter performer yeah going around everywhere yeah i would say which is really remarkable actually doing that full-time well and as well as the 
part-time doing the Echoes of Peace Community Choir in Duluth, Minnesota, which is a non-audition community choir that's been also a, just a regular part of my music work, but singer, songwriter, performing, and all that is, yeah, is my full-time job that, that uh, I, and I love it. And it's shifted a little bit now. <laughs> Not only does Paula share a musical background with Sarah, but music is also what brought them together. I remember being in choirs, probably, I mean, I grew up the, the Scandinavian Lutheran farm. Um, so singing in church, um, singing in school. And then in high school, what really um, I got into was we had a swing choir. And that was, I mean, that was in the <laughs> 80s, the early 80s. And we had a swing choir and I loved swing choir. And we traveled around and, you know, competed and did all that in, in swing choir. And so that was really what, um, what I loved. Um, Okay, can I ask you, because sure. you're sitting here in a flannel shirt yes. and very lesbian clothing. Yes. Uh, in the swing <laughs> choir, did you, like, wear those dresses? Oh, yes, and a skirt the and heels. Wore, yeah, and the heels. With the little bow tie. Yeah. 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 And I had a fair faucet haircut for those. <laughs> yeah, that was very... Talk about gender roles oh, right there. right, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. But growing even younger than that on the farm, I was a closeted um, Barbara Streisand fan. Oh. I loved Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Why did but you have to be closeted? Well, because she wasn't cool among my oh. my age cohort. So didn't you have to hide I, Barbara Streisand in that? I what, did. What I had did you pull out and cut instead? Billy Joel glass okay. houses. Yeah. So I would oh. I would drive to school because I was on the farm, and I would pick up some friends on the way, and I'd be blasting Barbara until I got to their house, and then I'd put her in the glove box and put in Billy Joel. Wow. Yeah. But I would wow. use my hairbrush and and as a microphone and I just I wanted to be her in the worst way. So I still love her. Love it. Yeah. She's like butter. <laughs> yeah. Like butter? Like butter. Oh but then I went to um, Luther College in Decorah, Iowa and um, sang with Weston Noble and the Nordic Choir and that was a very peak experience for me. Yeah, that's a legacy. So, yeah. Talk yeah, about he was, choral legacy for yeah. sure. Well, I think it's kind of fun the first even the way the way we met was Paula was looking for a backup guitar player for a song she was going to sing for the local women's coffee house and a, a mutual friend said, "Oh, give Sarah a call." So she, she said, I, I really was her backup. <laughs> I was, yeah, we started with mm -hmm. I was her backup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know who Sarah Thompson was, or, nor that this was her profession. I just called her and said, I hear you play guitar. I need someone to play guitar for me. Gracious <laughs> Sarah Thompson said, sure. And then as we were practicing, she started singing some harmonies. And nice. Said, oh, that's really good. Yeah, do that. Still, like I didn't know. That wasn't my kind of music, right. so I wasn't listening to her. Now I am. Um, <laughs> every day. Every day. Um, but then we, we had a mutual friend that we knew separate from, from each other, the, the rabbi in town. There was only one. Um, also a lesbian um, singer. And... The three of us got together and started singing three-part harmony and then created a group called Three Altos. And that's that's been really fun to to sing yeah. that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom? Yes. That I that helped me. Like it is a skill. It's it like mountain biking. You have to pay attention mm -hmm. and follow. And I feel like I love that. I actually love watching Sarah and singing you know following carefully and and singing and someone said once oh you you look at her so adoringly it's like no i'm trying to follow her <laughs> i mean yes it's adoringly but it's i'm not looking at her and it's really about i have to watch i've been conducting choirs for three and a half decades and every few years someone would say have you met Sarah Thompson? She's got this choir in Duluth. Or, you need to meet Sarah. You program such similar concerts. 
Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Apparently, she was getting the same nudges as I was. In 2018, we were both part of an Indigenous-led water walk with Ojibwe elder Sharon Day walking the length of the Wisconsin River, and we finally met for real. Turns out, oh, we have a lot in common. One of those commonalities is a shared commitment toward creating music that inspires action for social change. I asked Sarah to share a bit about that journey. I have to give a nod to just musicians that I listen to that is kind of how I learned, wow, you can you can like name things through song, you know, like the Pete Seegers and Woody Guthrie and Mercedes Sosa and Odetta and... Um, uh, all, all the folk and musical troubadours who have, who I was like, wow, they, music can be used in this way. So I, uh, um, well, the most relevant one maybe right now is a song I wrote um, that's really based on our rural life as well as the national politics that we're facing right now. And and that was too many roosters in the White House. Too many roosters in the White House. Cocks crow, feathers fluff. All the hens have had enough. Bare-necked feathers pecked, hope erect, blood specked. What the cluck cluck we gonna do? Organize a chicken coo. Flock together, eyes on the prize. Flap, fly. Uprise, we know exactly what to do. We are many, they are few. We gotta feather up and get down. Run the roosters out of town. What the cluck cluck we gonna do? Organize a chicken coop. Too many foxes in the hen house. Mm -hmm. Dressed up suit and sly, sneaky grins, flashy tie. Steal the eggs, cut off the legs, rights and rags, truth and gags. What the cluck, cluck we gonna do? Organize a chicken coop. Flock together, eyes on the prize. Flap, fly, uprise, we know exactly what to do. We are many, they are few, we gotta feather up and get down, run the roosters out of town. What the cluck cluck we gonna do? Organize a chicken coo. <laughs> Inspired by the chickens and our place. Yeah, I mean they were. Paula mm -hmm. Paula called me In tears. In tears because we had the little babies that were so cute in the spring had grown up to be no in the fall or in yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. yeah whatever time of year it was all of a sudden we had too many roosters in our flock and, and they were spring. beaten up yeah on the hens it was yeah. spring and they were beaten up on the hens yeah. right when you kind of let them out of the coop and they and then all of a sudden oh my gosh we had like seven hens and six roosters oh. and it was brutal <laughs> i i think the other powerful one that you wrote right after the election which was a way of communicating with your family was where did Jesus go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and and using the metaphors and and realities of Jesus being a a, a, a brown skin, you know, Middle Eastern mm -hmm. immigrant, or, yeah, you know, um, or migrant anyway, and mm -hmm. and that to make a point. Tell me where. Jesus go, that brown skinned man walking the road to Jericho. Tell me where, where did Jesus go? He's up and been deported to Mexico. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What you gonna do? Hallelujah. I'm gonna stand by you Love is all you got Love is all you do It's bigger than me And it's bigger than you I Tell me where Where is Jesus now 
That Middle Eastern man who could feed a hungry crowd. Tell me where, where is Jesus now? He's on a list of terrorists, and they tossed him out of town. I Sarah and Paula to talk about when they each came out, and they both paused. We had this moment of recognition that coming out is not simple for anyone. Often it happens in phases over many years. You did it before I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to think because there's all, you know, it happens in all different contexts at different places along the way. Um, first you come out to your little sister. <laughs> That's what my, you know, like, and then you come, you know. So um, for me, it, it took a while in terms of coming out to the people nearest and dearest to me, um, except for, you know, uh, this before reference little sister who I was the first one to share with because I knew it would, you know, not be a big, big deal. Um, so the first number of years, that was not easy in terms of um, sharing that with the rest of my family. Um, but in terms of where I was living and where we live now, it, 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 that has not been, it has not been very hard to be out in the community that we, that we live in. Um, and it's been so many years ago since coming out, like now, I wouldn't say it's a non-issue with all members of my family, but it, there's definitely a, a love and acceptance. For sure, they love and ex- Paula, and um, so we we have that peace. With there's a lot of peace that's come with the whole family issue that that took a while though. Yeah. So my story. I, so I was um, at 
teaching faculty at the University of Minnesota Duluth from the time I got out of college and grad school. And so that's what brought me up to the area. And I got, and I was married to a man. Um, and my high school sweetheart, although we weren't in the same high school, he was from the area in Northern Minnesota. Um, different story about how we met, but we, we dated long distance, six and a half years. I was 15, he was 17. Um, and it really was a beautiful thing for who I was in that part of my life. Um, and so for me, my coming out was, was very gradual and very intellectualized, I would say. Um, I, 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 I studied, I taught human sexuality, I had to learn a lot um, to teach. And I remember the moment, even in, in my marriage, telling my then spouse, um, yeah, I, I'm probably bisexual. Like, this makes sense to me. And, you know, so if so if, so if you die, I'll probably check out, you know. I mean, it was just this intellectual exercise for me. Um, and, and at a point when our, relation, our marriage stopped working for me, um, that's, that's where I went. Um, so I, I was, I explored my, my sexuality and realized that this is a bigger part of me than I, than I, I realized. Um, and so we then, we split up. It was very hard on him, um, understandably. And I have this, and yet I was at the university in a very liberal environment um, in the psychology department and teaching human sexuality and gender. And so it just felt like not that big a deal um, to, to me in a lot of ways, except for my family. And so I did lose family for a period of time. And, and we've, we've gotten each other back, but it was as much about leaving that what what then was a 20 year relationship um it, that i was being selfish and you know and he he was and is a wonderful human being so it was very hard for people to understand why that wasn't enough um and mm -hmm. to, how how to explain to 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 family who i believe had the ethic of you just bear it out it doesn't you know no matter what and and for me to say, I just think there's something more that I want to explore, that was really not a good answer. Um, <laughs> well, I still, I use the term ambisexual, which I found in some original Kinsey work because of my academic work. Alfred Kinsey was an American biologist who had a huge impact on how we think about human sexuality. Way back in 1947, he founded the Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University. So you may have heard of his Kinsey scale. It's one of the oldest and most widely used scales describing sexual orientation. Kinsey's research was based on thousands of interviews with people about their sexual histories and behaviors. It's now outdated, but the Kinsey scale was groundbreaking at the time. It was one of the first models to suggest that sexuality isn't a binary where people are exclusively heterosexual or exclusively homosexual. Instead, the Kinsey scale acknowledges that sexual attraction for many people falls somewhere in the middle of those two binaries. Kinsey's work continues to spark controversy as our understanding of human sexuality continues to expand. But it can't be denied that Kinsey had a great influence on broadening the way people think about sexual orientation and attraction, even today. Um, what I loved about ambisexual was this fluidity throughout the lifespan that, that he really believed that it's not a static thing. Um, and it was like, wow, that really resonated for me because I loved my, I, I'm, I'm not saying his name for, <laughs> you know, I loved him. And that's who I was at the time. That's not who I am now. And so even when Sarah and I said our vows, I had to say, I, I did this once and I said till death do us part and I meant it. I can't say, oh, this is who I was all along. And it just, but it just makes sense to me is that how do we know who we're going to be 20 years from now? Um, but I know that's not everyone's sexuality story. So it's kind of hard to, it's even actually hard to talk about within the LGBT community because it sounds 
not right. Or, or, or like selfish. It There's that word again, selfish, right? right? Or that it could undermine. <laughs> like it's a choice. Well, it's yeah, a choice yeah, yeah. for me to decide if I'm going to honor who I am, which I'm grateful I did in 2000, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to honor. Speaking of mental health, um, mm-hmm. you know, that was when I became healthy. It was when I honored who who I was becoming, um, maybe more than who I was all along. I mean, so that's. You know, mm-hmm. people could argue with and about that, but that's that's my story. And I would say it's only been recently where we live now in a very rural environment, where I, I'm, I mean that was that was 2000. So right. what is it? Not it was 22 years ago. I came out in 2000. Um, that so it's been a long time, but I'm not no longer in that kind of liberal cocooned environment and. And when we have like service people come out who who I'm just not sure about, I, I'm feeling it. You know, I'm, I'm feeling some, I don't know if it's fear, internalized homophobia, what, but just a caution that I, I never mm-hmm. felt before. And that's, that's unfortunate. I feel that's unfortunate. Our, our neighbors that we have relationships with are great. Mm-hmm. It's the unknown folks that you know come to look at this tree that needs to cut down and just try to pick up on the energy and maybe the other one will stay in the house depending on how it seems so Mm -hmm. yeah that's the that's the other side yeah i i i can share a story of um for me and and this was a time or pretty early on post-college living with friends actually in new york city this was before i moved to minnesota but i kind of had a um what might have been called as a mental health breakdown a, um or at least a cri- at like a a crisis of the spirit um that that i ended up um you know in the psych ward and put on put on meds and the whole thing what I remember during that time, it was probably 11 days that I spent, um, they actually had like an art therapist, a dance therapist, and I can't remember, for sure art and dance. I, I, you know, f- I don't remember there being um, music, but it, you know, there was music as part of the dance therapy. That had a huge impact on me, and I still think some of the struggles I was going through ha- had to do with with um you know working through through acceptance and non-acceptance and i would say it was in terms of coming out as well as some struggles with the church at that time that i was more connected with and it it was a crisis of of difference on a on a, on a lot of levels it was family it was it was faith it was and it, it was even with this within this group of friends you know like a feelings of betrayal um, on a number of levels, uh, <laughs> so it, it ended up with in, with a crisis, mm-hmm. and and yet coming out of that, and and during that time, the the arts really, the fact that there were those art therapists in that space at that time saved me, and I, I think ever since that time, I realized that um, that that it needed to no longer be a side thing for me, like the arts, that the arts was not a fringe part of my life, but like the bread and butter, but it was my vocation or my calling for my own mental health. Like I needed to be doing, I needed to be be um, coming out as an artist, really. I think the arts helped me heal and continue to, like if I don't have that in my life, um, it's 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 a piece of my health. I'm a psychologist, a licensed psychologist. I'm um, trained very traditionally. I did therapy um, for years before I before and while I was teaching. And Sarah has taught me so much um, outside of the box of you know not in not only what you just described as what was most helpful and therapeutic to you but how we might even define mental mental health or mental non-health or mental illness is is so 
I become, I, I became a critic of my own discipline. Um, it, the, the more that I kind of opened myself up to Sarah and Sarah's world and Sarah's way of being, which, I mean, artists think and do the world differently. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I love just that notion that if Sarah and people like Sarah can't express their art, they're not healthy and whole. And, and that's a powerful lesson for all of us who do mental health work to, to be in touch with. And, and I, it, it's probably with anything, um, but particularly uh, artists, I think. We, we tend to kind of label, can, can label you as in ways that aren't, aren't necessarily always helpful. And why don't we um, do that same naming of really there's systems that are mentally unhealthy or, you know, we don't name here this, you know, thinking mm -hmm. of things like systemic racism. That is mental unhealth. That's, I got snippets of that taking courses in what was then women's studies. Now it's women, gender and sexuality mm -hmm. studies um, or or now queer studies or like that kind of just even queering up our thinking, mm -hmm. um, which was not part of traditional psychology at the time. But it, it's an advertisement too for a liberal arts education, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and cross-disciplinary <laughs> ways of knowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Since Sarah and I met in 2018, we have managed to find many ways to collaborate together. One of them is as co-writers and creators of a concert that One Voice will premiere in September 2021 called Remembering Singing Water. The concert combines music and true stories of indigenous people, immigrants, and queer folks. Their experiences of Minnesota as a place of both homecoming and of exile. Because of the pandemic, the music for Remembering was recorded virtually this winter. Literally, our singers recorded their own voices on their own phones at home, including Sarah, and then all of those voices were edited together. Just last weekend, we gathered outside to film the songs and stories which you, our listeners, are going to be able to experience as a film this fall. We're going to give you a sneak preview of one of the songs we recorded. This is Sarah's Water is Life, Mini Wachoni. The origin of that song was at Standing Rock in North Dakota when the Lakota and Dakota took a stand um, against the Dakota Access Pipeline that was um, going to be built across the Missouri River right north of um, the, the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. And so the Standing Rock uh, Nation stood up and then all, all, you know, the other Lakota and Dakota peoples came together as well as indigenous and non-indigenous folks from across not only our country, but the world to, um, to address that issue. And so I went for just a small bit of time during, during that. Um, and that song was kind of born from being there at the at the camp um, and Miniwachoni, which is water's life in Lakota and Dakota was uh, was and continues to be a call for um, protecting the waters and I began sharing it like with my choir and there was actually a Lakota and Ojibwe man that 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 uh, came up to me after one of the practices <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The, the neighbors are working on their motorcycle. Yes. Um, and said, kind of offered, um, or said, what about adding this part, which was the Madakuyeo Yas and the all my relations, we are all related part to the chorus. So it's, it's a song that evolved over time. And then we sang it on the Missouri River Water Walk, led by Sharon Day in 2017. And Sharon added the uh, the part, the way oh way oh way ah part that we sang during during that walk. There's a choir that sang it in Singing for Water in London. There's news that will travel to me of it, you know, being sung in various places um, around the world. It's a song for the water, for the protection of 
rivers, lakes, streams, everywhere, but it began at Standing Rock. All my relations come, every nation come, all my relations under the sun, we are one, we are praying come, we are praying come, we are the song and we We are the river come We are the river come We are the boat, the paddle, the shore We are one Many would surely say Many would surely say Many would surely We are the water, we are the water, we are the ancient ones, we are the ancient ones, in your breath and bones we sing on, we are one, we are the We are the meadow, come. We are the lark that sings the new day as begun. We are the new day, run, run, run. We are the new day, run, run, run. We are the old and we are the young. We are one. Just in our personal life, we had a dear friend who we thought would be with us longer and got 
got the call that, you know, she might be gone in the next 24 hours. And we hopped in our car and went to sing at her bedside, you know, and and music, music is one of those things that can be can help us be present to someone as they're leaving this world. So that happened this week. and a few days after that, we showed up at another friend's house who happens to be the mayor of <laughs> Toulouse, but showed up to sing for her yeah. because a week prior, um, there had been a parading up and down her street with a lot of, um, I would say, hateful rhetoric mm-hmm. coming, spewing from the vehicles that passed up and down for 30 minutes. Um, A truck parade. A truck parade. Last September, President Donald Trump held a rally in Duluth before the November election. Over 2,500 Trump supporters showed up, which was well over the 250-person limit agreed upon by the campaign. You might remember there was a COVID pandemic in full swing at the time. So, Democratic Duluth Mayor Emily Larson spoke out condemning the rally, and that prompted a parade of Trump supporters to circle her Duluth home in trucks, playing loud music, flying Trump flags, blocking traffic, and yelling, well, yelling hateful messages at Mayor Emily. And, you know, we were like, how could we show up unexpected? but to bring a positive something to. Yeah. And so we, we showed up and, and sang a song for- On her porch, yeah. For Emily on her porch, yeah. yeah. So, but how do we, how can music and the arts shift the energy? It's it can awesome. transform negative energy mm-hmm. and um, just shift things in a moment and make us be able to take a breath. Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say yeast. Like yeast. Oh, yeah. yeah, I see it. Like some of that as being yeast for something, mm-hmm. for transformation. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah. the starter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Actually, Music is like sourdough starter. There you go. <laughs> I, I'm hearing a song coming, and it's called For Emily on Her Porch. Ooh. Are you writing mm-hmm. it? No. that was your prompt Sarah Um, because really that story of what happened in Duluth last week is um, it's just another important story to be told indeed Sarah tells me she has written at least 70 songs in her lifetime there's a link to Sarah's website on the Sound Mind page so check out more of her music buy a CD and support Sarah and other first responder musicians We're going to close with an excerpt of a song on Sarah's most recent CD that seems pretty perfect for the world we're living in right now. Thank you, Sarah and Paula, for the music, wisdom, and inspiration toward action that sprouts from your rural home alongside your flowers and vegetables. I want to sing about in these days What rhyme or melody Turn a phrase What is your story now? Where is your gaze? I want to sing about In these days Towers are tumbling Fortresses fumbling, crumbling grounds Governments grumbling as they drown Towers are tumbling, tumbling down Plant your song like a seed Hold your heart like a prayer beat Give your breath like a tree 
Set your souls deep Love free I know a woman who walks and breathes This concludes Episode 5 of Sound Mind from One Voice Mixed Chorus, Minnesota's LGBTQ and Straight Allies Chorus. If you want to support this podcast, there is a One Voice donation button at the bottom of the Sound Mind webpage. All gifts are graciously welcomed. This podcast is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Yay, Minnesota voters! Thank you to audio engineer, playwright, and all-around smart tech person, Paul Cruz. Join us for the next and final, for now, Sound Mind episode. I'll be talking with actor, dancer, singer, Renaissance woman, Kimani Khalil, who lives in Crystal, Minnesota. Kimani weaves a darn good story and has an infectious laugh that will keep you smiling the rest of the day. to sing about in